How would you feel if one of your uh, close friends came to you and said, Hey, I'm so excited. I just found a brand new, well-reviewed board game. And I just want to go home today, the rest of the day, and play this game. Do you want to come with me for this? How would you feel if that happened to you? Or how about if uh, a good friend of yours said, Hey, I've got tickets. I got great tickets to the Bucks game tonight. And I'm so excited. Do you want to come with me to this? Or if they said, Hey, I've got, I've got more than enough components to do this amazing craft that I've been so looking forward to do. We're going we're gonna to spend the whole day assembling it and gluing it and sanding it and painting it and putting it together. And I'm so excited to do this. Would you like to do this with me? Or if a friend of yours said, hey, tonight I'm going to this, this sort of comedy group that I'm really excited about. And, and everybody there, if you show up, you have to stand up and you have to tell a funny story. And it's going to be so fun and I can't wait to go. Would you love to come with me? Would you please come with me? How would you feel about those invitations and those offerings? Which of those is kind of like, yeah. And how do you feel about the other ones, right? And, and Why? Why? Well, you say, well, I'm just, not a, I'm just not a crafty person. I just, I'm, just not, I'm just not a board game person. I'm not a sports, I'm not a sports ball person. I'm not, a, I'm not into that. I, I can never stand up in front of people. And I just, I'm not funny. I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm just not that kind of person. We're going to be thinking today about something that we almost never think about. Something that we just, we just use, like, like air, right? Like breathing. You never think about it. You just are doing it. You're just using it in every single second of every moment of every day. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is our idea of ourself. What is our idea of ourself? You know, we don't pay attention to our stories, but we all have a story, an inner narrative, and we live by that thing. We all have a testimony, an arc of our life. Tell me about yourself. Well, here's who I am. Here's what I've gone through and been and done. And here's what I'm for and what I'm doing and working on. We all have these kind of things. But, but how do we get that story? And is it the truth? Is it a true story? You know, one of the primary things that the Bible invites us to as we begin to follow Jesus, the Bible invites us to a, a unique thought event. And that thought event is repentance. It's a brain, it's a mind, this direction to this direction, motion. So Paul says in Romans 6, 11, you, you must consider yourself. What are you considering? yourself. You must consider yourself differently than you used to now, dead to sin and alive to God. You must do that work. He says a little later in Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how we go from considering ourselves dead to God and alive to sin to dead to sin and alive to God. Colossians 3, Paul says, you need to put off the what? What is it? old self with the practices of the old self and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator and again in Ephesians 4 you were taught the truth in Jesus to put off your old self 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is this thing that Paul's talking about? He's he's inviting us to rethink our story, to to let Jesus change our idea of ourself. Where did you get your idea of yourself? Your idea of who you are. You know, the, I once heard a theologian say that the modern story, the modern story that every single person in this room has grown up with is this, that there is no story. And there can be no story except the story that you write for yourself. Of course, with their help, right? They want to help give you the categories for your story and maybe sell you a few products that will help you sort of achieve a, a good story. There is no story. Well, you and I both know what kind of, what kind of life that, that story and that idea creates. It creates one of inner and outer chaos and despair. Right? A, a self, self-constructed identity is a fiction. It's a, it's a short story that we just made for ourselves. What is it going to take for life to make sense? We're going to, right, if, when you're lost, you need to find the North Star. Right, when you're empty, you need truth in your inner being. Remember what, what David says in Psalm 51? Lord, you delight to teach me truth in my inner being. This is what God wants to offer us. So first of all, we need to lose narrative control. We need to lose, set aside the idea that I am the best person to tell my story. Right? There's no story except the story you write for yourself. This is what all of us assume. We need to lose that narrative control. We need help to tell a story that's true. And this is what Paul in a sense, invites us to consider here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to do a deep dive into Galatians 2.20 this week and next because it is such a momentous, such a, such, a deep, such a deep verse. Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. This is the antidote to to the quest that Peter and Barnabas and and the other Jews that Paul himself previously had been on to locate themselves in their own sense of righteousness, to navigate by by, by the stars of the social order, the world that is. Paul's saying that's that's false. It's fiction. Here's the truth. I have been crucified with Christ. The true story for each one of us begins at the cross. This is what we're going to look at today. Kind of some bad news today. Next week's going to be great, though, so you want to make sure you come for part two of this. Next week's going to be really exciting and encouraging. The true story, though, begins at the cross. That's where the story that makes sense and that gives us hope starts. This is very important for us because our story that we tell ourselves about ourselves shapes our lives. It shapes the way we live. Right? It shapes whether you're willing to go work on a craft with somebody or play a board game. Here's a little confessional moment. So I basically cut board games out of my life entirely sometime in early adolescence because, and I didn't realize this at the time, 
until I had kids and they wanted to play games with me. And I'm like, why do I not want to play games with them? And then I'd play a game with them. It'd be sort of fun, but it would be really complicated. And I realized that losing at a game was touching on my sense of being smart, my sense of, of being whatever it was that I thought I was, losing at a game put that thing at risk. And I wasn't willing to compromise on that. And so I avoided all games of chance. Janisha's family loved playing games. She loved playing Yahtzee. I hated playing Yahtzee. It's all chaos. It's just rolls of the dice. Something so silly, but tied to such an essential part of what I, what I thought I was, what I wanted myself to be. Our story that we tell ourselves is really important. And the key question now this morning, as we look at Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What is the thing here that has been crucified with Christ? What is that thing, right? So Galatians is all about, it's all about, Paul. it's a struggle for the identity of the church. It's a struggle for the, for the soul of the gospel in each of us. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What is that thing? Well, it's the, uh, it's the part of me that's trying to establish my own righteousness. The part of me that I'm trying to, to put together in order to convince myself and to convince other people that I'm okay. Or what I'm calling this morning my constructed self. Now the constructed self, right, this isn't the true me. This isn't the me that, that stands before God 24-7. This isn't the me that God knows. This isn't the, the God-made self. This isn't the secret heart that David says in Psalm 51, 6. It's not that me. But see, I don't know where that thing is. This is one of the themes we're going to see this morning through a couple different passages. I don't know where that secret heart is. I don't know where that guy is. I don't know where that kid is. I'm trying to find it, right? But, but how often do you, are you scared of what you might find or ashamed of what you think is truly you? And so we construct this thing that's comfortable for us and, hey, people seem to like it. But the constructed self is not a real thing. It's a story with a purpose. It's a sales pitch. The constructed self, first of all, is, just, is, is an incomplete thing. right? It's an incomplete thing. It is selectively shaped. You know, how many, how many of us have a story? I'm just picking on dads here, but you could pick any different kind of aspect of the story. Uh, how many of us have a story where we say, well, my dad was mean? Well, that's probably not the only thing that's true about him, right? Ta- did you interview his friends when you came up with that idea of him? Right? Did you go back and look at his childhood and, and see where he came from? You say, oh, no, just my dad was mean. That's the part of, of, of the universe that I'm going to use here. Or flip that around. Right? My dad, oh, he was just amazing. He was great. Well, you know, did you talk to your mom about that? You know, we, we, we sort of select aspects of reality to put together this, this, this idea of who we are. Well, I'm, I'm coming out of a mean dad or... Or I've been blessed with this wonderful dad. It's an incomplete thing. It's selectively shaped. We, we, want, we want to be in control of this, right? We want to be in control of telling our own story. And so we, we pick the parts that we feel are going to work for us. The construct itself is an identity. It's a, right, it's a disguise. 
We talk about it, at least, I don't know if we do anymore. We talked about it in the 80s and 90s a lot. We talked about discovering ourselves, right? Everybody was on a quest of self-discovery. That's just uh, disguising yourself in ways you hope will work. You know, we used to take my uh, kids up to this um, awesome shop in Oconomowoc called the Children's Play Gallery. And they had this, they had a little fake stage with all of these costumes and stuff. And my kids just loved going in there and trying different things on. And now I'm this, and now I'm this, and... And they would put these different identities on, right? These different disguises. So the constructed self is not a real thing. It's an incomplete, it's an identity. It's, a, it's fundamentally, it's an interpreted thing. It's a convenient spin, right? It is a story with a purpose. And the purpose of this story is to protect myself from shame and guilt. I want to establish my righteousness. I want to re- maintain narrative control, right? Uh, some of you have kids or have worked with kids or remember this from your own childhood, right? When uh, there's a crash or a loud bang, right, in some room where the kids are and you run in there and what, what is happening in that moment? It is, right, whichever kid is more talkative, you know, uh, let me tell you what just happened. <laughs> and then they tell you this story. Here's what happened. They did this and then they did this. And I tried, but then they did this. <laughs> And they're bad. You know, and then the other kid says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what just happened. They did this, they did this. All I did was this, and then they did this. They're bad. And then the other one says, well, I can see they, they raised some good points, but, but really what happened in that, in that situation, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a battle of narrative. It's who's in control. It's who's righteous and, and good. And this is what the construct itself is. Is us before the mirror and us before each other and us before God saying, okay, here's what happened. These were my parents. And this is what happened at summer camp. And this is what my this is why I got those grades. And this is what happened then in my that first job and the second job. But then by the third job, right, we and we tell these stories to try to get away from the shame and guilt to establish our sense of righteousness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers lest they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does a blinded mind look like? It's what the constructed self is. Is a mind blinded to the truth of my need for Jesus and the truth of what God holds out to me in Him. It's me hanging on to that sense of righteousness, hanging on to that sense of control. Right? I, I am, we are, apart from the Word of God and apart from what Jesus can do in our lives, we are blind people sketching maps for ourselves to use. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you to think anything other than that about yourself? I've I've been crucified with Christ, he's saying. He's saying, we all, all y'all have been crucified with Christ. Who has bewitched you, though? The God of this world. has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and the God of this world blows fog our direction, too. The cross story... The gospel story tells the true story. That's the true story for all of us. 
So Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ. My, my constructed self and my sense of narrative control has been crucified. What does it mean that that has been crucified? Well, of course, for a thing to be crucified means it's put to death. Right? It's put to death. It is the end of whatever I thought I was. It's the end of, of what I thought my life story was being. It's the end of what I thought I was doing. It's the end of my story. It's the end of my sense of confidence in myself as a narrator. I guess I don't really know how to put all these facts together in the right way. I don't know how to tell my own story here. Do you remember the first uh, big twist movie you ever saw? Like the Sixth Sense kind of movie, you know, M. Night Shyamalan stuff? where you watch the whole movie and then something happens at the end that makes you go, oh, put it, start it over again. I got to watch the whole thing again because the whole thing's different. For me, that was the game. You remember when Michael Douglas was in movies? <laughs> um, that was a long time ago. But you watch the whole movie and then something happens and you realize, holy smokes, the whole story is completely different than I thought it was. That's the cross. The cross is the, the giant plot twist. Right, we're going to look at what Paul says about himself in Philippians uh, 3. We're going to look at that in a little bit. But here we are going along telling everybody, hey, I'm pretty good. Hey, I'm pretty smart. Hey, I'm doing it right. And then here comes the cross. Hang on. Now we've got to go back to the beginning of the story and tell it again. When's the last time you moved? Are you a hoarder? Right? Nobody's a hoarder. Right? Nobody's a hoarder. Uh, because a hoarder is, by definition, somebody with more stuff than I have. Right? And the stuff that they have is all dumb. Whereas all the stuff that's in my basement on the shelf is stuff that uh, proves my, my... It's very important stuff, and it proves my intelligence and my wisdom. My foresight, right? But then you have your friends over to help you move. And what are they doing? They're going, what's in this box? Tupperware? And what's in this box? Tupperware? <laughs> and what's in this tote? The Tupperware that you're thinking about getting rid of? Why are we moving this stuff? What is wrong with you? And you're saying, oh, right? That everybody has this idea of themselves on some sort of spectrum of righteousness. Whatever that thing is for you, right? And you're here, and wherever you are is good. And you could be a little better, but you're not that worse. And then your friends come to move. This is what the cross does. It forces us to reevaluate who we think we are. It forces us to retell this entire story. I mean, the cross is fundamentally every one of us being caught in a lie. Right? The cross is God saying, hang on, I, I know you all think you're amazing, but who did that then? Who put my, who put my son up there then? You did. You did. I did. The cross is the end of my sense that I know who I am. It's the end of me. It's the end of my life. And, and when you go back through the Bible, you see that the this, this sense of a death of the self is a very important moment for, for most of, if not all of, the significant characters and heroes of, a, of the faith. When, when God tells Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, take your whole entourage away from there. 
Right? Ur was a center of civilization. It was the center of commerce. Abraham and, and his family have been there for generations. They're, they're accumulating wealth. They're, they're established. They're important. And he says, put it all to death and leave and let's go. And I'm going to take you and start a whole new thing in some faraway land called Canaan. Moses comes to this place. He comes to this moment after God has done all the stuff in Egypt. And Moses is brought to a place where he says to God, he says, God, cut me out of your book. I'm done. That's the death of self moment for Moses. Ruth, she comes to a place after all the hardships that they experience in Moab. She says, hey, Naomi, where, where you die, that's fine. I'll just die there too. I have, I have nothing. I have nothing. Elijah, we looked at this a couple months ago in uh, 1 Kings 17. He comes to a place where he says to God, God, just take my life away. I'm no better than, I thought I was better than my father's. I'm no better than my father's. My story, this whole thing that I thought I was in, this whole thing that I thought I was, is wrong and gone and over. Jonah, right, when he's crying out, he's in the, he says, I'm in the belly of Sheol. Jonah says this, the psalmist say this, Esther When she's about to go into the king, she says, if I perish, I perish, I guess. The three Hebrew children, they're they're facing the fiery furnace. And what do they say? They say, God can save us, but if not, I guess we're just, we're done. This is the end of it. Jesus comes to his disciples. He says, all right, you're fishermen. That's how you feed your family. That's your livelihood. Leave your nets. You're a tax collector. You sit here. You collect taxes. You're doing pretty well. Leave it. You're a rich young ruler. You got all this stuff. This is who you are. Sell it all and give it away. And twice in the Gospel of Matthew, twice in the Gospel of Luke, and once in Mark, Jesus says to the disciples, he says to the crowds, he says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Lose your life. I have been crucified with Christ. Lose your life and you will find it. Have you been crucified with Christ? Friends, what Paul's telling, he's he's talking to Galatians who have been crucified with Christ. He's trying to get them to see it. So you either have been crucified with Christ or you need to be. But either way, for, for all of us, the truth of who we are, our true story begins at the cross. Now we'll talk more about this next week, but I just want to briefly zero in on why we should even tolerate this conversation, why we should relinquish narrative control, why we should consider this. Because we want to find our life. We want to find our life. What does that mean when he says that only if you lose your life for his sake will you find it? It means that right now, it's hiding. Our constructed selves are actually hiding the truth from ourselves. They're false maps. And we've got to lose those things before we can find what we want. And you know what we want is what Paul says right before in the phrase right before here in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, he says in verse 19, because I want to live to God. I want to live to God. Augustine says this a couple hundred years later, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Lord God. What does it mean to live to someone? To live to someone. I want to live to God. To live to someone means that you know yourself. This is going to become important next week as well. You know yourself in relation to them. 
Your, who are you? I'm theirs. I'm from them. I'm for them. I'm with them. I'm theirs. But who? Who is that person? What collection of affiliations truly tell me who I am and truly satisfy the quest that we all are on for truth in our inner being? It's not our mom and our dad. It's not our kids or our friends or our coaches or our bosses or our, our, these brands or, or this political party. Right? Are you familiar with these online bios? I'm not sure if this is just a Twitter thing or a blogosphere thing. But, you know, like, um, hi, my name's David. Like, you know, husband of Janisha, father of three, like, you know, uh, lover of the box or go, bar, you know, like, I mean, we put these little things on here, right? And we define ourselves by these different relationships. Now, I know that's just shorthand and an easy way to kind of convey uh, brief facts about yourself. But we sort of do this. We, we live to these people. We live to these relationships, you know, we put signs in our yard and we, we wear certain clothes and not others. And we, and we locate ourselves and our sense of selves in this web of, of uh, affiliations. We live to these things and yet we're empty. We're lost. We want to live to God. Only God. Only in knowing ourselves as His. Only in knowing ourselves and our life is from Him and for Him and lived with Him. That's the only thing that will satisfy us. Listen to this verse, Colossians 3, 3. Paul says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Whoever will lose their life will find it. And where is it? With Christ in God. You want to know yourself? All of us midlife people, we're all looking around going, what, what happened? <laughs> you want to find yourself? You're in Christ with God. One of my favorite quotes, it sits on my desk where I can see it every day. It's from T.S. Eliot. This isn't in my notes. But he says, uh, I've wanted to give this quote to some of my older friends, but I always feel like it would be offensive to give somebody a quote a quote that calls them old men. <laughs> but this quote says, uh, old men are to be explorers into a further union, into a deeper communion. What are we supposed to do here when we get ourselves lost, when we, when we feel like we've lost our way, but to return to the truth about Christ and what he has done for us? Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. You know, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What does it mean to be dead? What does it mean to be crucified? It means to be in the place pre-resurrection. We know what's coming. You're scared to go on the cross. We're scared to go in the tomb, but you know what's coming. Death for Christians is not the end of life. It's just the beginning. That goes for your physical life, but it also goes for your life as a disciple of Jesus. It is only now that we are on the cross with Christ that we can begin to find our, our lives. My true life, my true self is hidden with Christ and the cross is the map. And so as we finish up this morning, the invitation that Paul gives to the Galatians, the invitation of Scripture to us, is to, in, in old-timey words, to repent and to confess. To repent and to confess. To turn your mind around 
and to tell the truth. To turn around and tell the truth. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to, uh, to Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, so you're very close. Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to read just a few verses. We're going to look at what Paul does, how he turns his mind around, and how he tells the truth. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. We're going to read this and then, and then wrap up. Now, I want you, as, as I read this, listen to how Paul tells his story and how you can imagine he used to tell it and how he tells it now. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he's got reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Indeed, verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You can hear how Paul would tell that story to himself before. He would look in the mirror, right? And he would say, Paul, you, oh man, you're, you're zealous, you're righteous, you're doing it right, you've got all these friends, you've got all this ancestry, you are God's man for this job. And you can see that in his story, right? He's the one guy out of his whole cohort who goes to the Pharisee leadership and says, hey, let's kick some Jesus-following backsides back into submission. Let's get this going, right? He thinks he's the guy. And then now he says, all that I used to count gain, I count loss. I lost my life for the sake of Jesus. And now I've found what, I've lo what I'm looking for. It's a very different story, even though it's constructed out of the same events. So this morning as we close, let me encourage you to pay attention to your story. You know, there's a good trend out there of uh, being s uh, aware of our self-talk. Are you aware of your self-talk? That's good. Be aware of your self-talk. But we need more, right? The truth is outside of us. We need to hear the truth. We need to learn it. We need to listen to it and confess it. And let me encourage you to, to consider the discipline of testimonies. Testimonies, writing your testimony is a practical tool. A lot of uh, discipleship group, like college kind of level discipleship group, when somebody comes to faith, they work on, they coach them on how to write your testimony, how to rethink your story now centered around Jesus. Thinking about our testimonies forces us to pay attention to our story, to what Jesus and the cross mean for who I am and what I've done and what I'm doing. This last week in the midweek email, I invited you to write in and share some of your stories with me. And so I would invite you to take this up as a challenge and, a, and an activity to apply this sermon and this lesson to your life this week to write out your testimony centered around Jesus and centered about what he did for you on the cross. And one last thing, to, to elevate the importance of thinking about your story, paying attention, and telling it truly, I want to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation, everybody awake for this? John says, I heard in a law of voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. They have conquered the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. Right? By what Jesus has done for them. But that's not all, it says. It says they have conquered the accuser of the brethren, the one who is trying to inform you about the truth of yourself. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We are in a battle. We are in a battle of narratives. Satan in the world... Christ's and ours. The true story of all of us must include the cross. And at the cross, we lose our sense of self that we thought we were, but there we find a story that can begin to make sense. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul's example and his encouragement to us to think of the cross of Jesus as the central and defining event in our lives, where the truth of every single one of us is made much more complete, and where we can begin our journey to find our life hidden with Christ in you. Lord, there's some work involved in this journey. There's some, some thinking, some praying, maybe some writing, some, some telling and, and working through this in our own thoughts and mind. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would join us and help us. Help us to rethink who we are and, and where we're from, what we're doing and what we're for. Now based on the role of Jesus in our life. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you now together. We invite you to do that work in us, to do your work in us, that we can be more equipped to do your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.